0: take your Bibles and turn again to Romans chapter 8 as we continue in our study of this chapter in this book that we have been in for now quite some time, but that continues to challenge and continues to, I hope, inform us, instruct us, and grow us in our walk with Christ. Last week, we looked at verses, or really just one verse, verse 18 Today we're going to look at verses 19 through 25, but probably just 19 through 22 today. But uh, an important passage in this chapter is, as Paul begins to show us that that which is yet to come, as he said in verse 18, is far more glorious, far more beautiful, far more desirous than anything we might experience in this life Right here, no matter how bad the suffering is. Matter of fact, in Romans eight eighteen, Paul dares to tell us that our present cancer or persecution or financial losses or loneliness or death or anything else, any of our present sufferings are just not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be yet revealed to us. Now I say Paul dares to say that because that's a fairly bold statement. And, and in our culture, in our time, it's quite a statement that is is not understood many times because we really do think about in, in this life that our comfort and our prosperity and our, our, our having everything we want beyond everything we need really is the most important thing and Paul is saying here listen as a believer you're not going to have all that there's going to be struggle in this life there's going to be suffering in this life there's going to be uh, things from the natural causes and things that will come because of persecution and you need to recognize that and understand that. As I've been working in chapter 8, I can go back for several weeks now and just, just think about the past week's headlines that we have seen in our newspapers. Everything from, from shootings in Dayton, Ohio, and, and uh, El Paso, Texas, that were just random and, and, and crazy and, and unexplainable from any kind of rational point of view. It just go in and murder people you don't know, and maybe in some cases you don't like who they are, what they look like, and maybe in other cases it's just because you want to get a name for yourself or something, but it's, it, it's a fallen condition that we're talking about there. It's, it's just inexplic- inexplicable. I was in Dayton, Ohio yesterday and, and walking around the, the Air Force Museum there for a while. We had, I saw people wearing black t-shirts with, with Dayton Strong on it. And of course, that was in 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 this recognition of and remembrance of the shooting that took place there just a few weeks ago and saying, we're not going to be beaten by this. But the truth of the matter is, apart from Jesus Christ, we will be beaten by that. We will be discouraged by that. We will be downcast by that because it's just not a normal thing from human perspective. Just this week, we saw Hurricane uh, Doran go across the Bahamas. And, and make it look like an atomic bomb had been dropped there. I mean, it just totally annihilated those beautiful uh, tropical islands and, and things that we, we thought were secure and safe and in place, then they were just totally destroyed by this natural disaster, as it would probably be accounted for. I was reading this week about various animals that are, their species are totally in danger of extinction they're 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 going out they're they're departing this life and this world things that we've seen and enjoyed are just no longer in abundance like they once were natural resources we're told are drying up and all sorts of problems going and we go on and on and on And, and that we don't need a lot of proof you know any other way than just to look around us and see that that this world is in a downward spiral that this world is in a situation that is not as it was intended to be. I, I had Pastor Todd read the text from Genesis chapter 1, the creation story, and then Genesis chapter 3, the fall, just to illustrate that. And I could have had him read the whole creation, I just let him go through the separating of light and dark, day and night, but he could have gone through the whole thing. And after every single episode of creation, God declared, It is good, it is beautiful. It is great. And then you get over to chapter 3 and you have Adam and Eve and Eve being tempted by the serpent and, and them seeing the fruit on the tree. I don't know whether it was an apple, an orange, or an apricot. I mean, there's no indication what the fruit is. We always talk about it being an apple. But it was fruit. And it was fruit that God had said you're not to eat of it. Now, Eve went a first step further and said, you're not even going to touch it. You can't even touch it. God never said that. Uh, and just goes to show when Satan gets you confused, you'll go all out and exaggerate even all the more. But, but you're, not to tell, you're not to eat that. And if you do, you will die. You will surely die. And Satan said, God said, what? You're not going to die you eat that fruit. You're, you're going to live. You're, you're going to live like you never lived before. You're going to be like God. You're going you're to know the right, difference from right and wrong and good and, and evil. You're, you're going to be elevated to deity status. You are going to be able to be your own God. And when they did that and believed the enemy, they immediately noticed that they were naked. Or if you're from the south, naked. It depends on how you say it. You know, that they had no clothes on. And, and so they hastily made them some clothes out of fig leaves and they, they hid and God came and said, where are you, Adam? And he said, well, we're hiding because we know that we are naked. And God said, who told you that? And immediately they recognized that something had gone bad wrong. And quite honestly, ever since that day, things have been going quite bad. Quite badly in our culture, in our world, whether it's in nature or whether it's in humankind. It's a continuous downward spiral because the world is not as it was intended to be. Do you understand that? It's very important to understand. This world is not as it was intended to be. I, I find always find it interesting that when when Satan tempted Eve, and she looked at that fruit in chapter three, that uh, she made this. Uh, you know, she looked at it, said, "You not shall not eat of it." Uh, he knows if you have your eyes will be opened, and she saw the fruit. She saw that the tree was good for food. And it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and shade of it. She saw that the tree was good. She saw it was beautiful to the eyes, delightful to the eyes. It was good, it was beautiful, and it was knowledge, wisdom. When you look at that phrase and that statement that what Eve saw when she looked at the tree and looked at the fruit, And you compare that to our world today, does that not explain exactly where our world is? We look at what we can see that we say is beautiful. Now, I realize that's our own subjective beauty. We say, you know, we have a saying in in humankind that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's an absolute lie from Satan. Beauty is in the eye of God, and beauty is what God says is beautiful, not what we decide we feel like is beautiful. But, but Eve saw this, and she said, oh, it's, it's the light to the eye. It's a beautiful to the eye, and it looks good to the taste. It just looks like it's going to fulfill my appetite in a, in a glorious way. It looks like it's going to satisfy me, and I'm going to just revel in it. I'm going to enjoy it, and, and isn't that our culture? We look at what we think will satisfy us or make us feel good or make us happy, however you want to place it. you know. Well, that'll make me happy. doesn't matter if God says that is good and desirable to be a, something you pursue or not. If, if we say it looks good, if we say we think it'll make us feel good, then we tend to pursue it in our culture. And it would make one wise. We all want to be wise. We all want to have wisdom. We all want to be able to... To say, wow, I, I know better than others what whatever is is all about. And so Eve looked at that fruit and, and she described what she saw. And when she fell and Adam fell and, the, and our first parents fell in the garden and sin entered into the world, Eve just described what every single human being from that point on was going to be saying. Whether you say it verbally or not, whether you even say it consciously or not. Every single human being He's looking for that which is beautiful, that which is satisfying to the senses, and and that which will give us some kind of wisdom, some kind of knowledge. But God makes clear in his word that true knowledge and true wisdom begins at a very specific point. It doesn't begin by sinning. It doesn't begin by getting what you want and how you want to pursue things. But it, it begins by the fear of God begins by standing in awe before the living God. It begins by saying, Lord, you are king, you are redeemer, you are Lord, and I submit myself to you because I want to know wisdom and I want to know knowledge, and I know that it only comes from you. And so when we look at the fall, we recognize that everything in that moment became chaotic, was in disarray from that point right on down until the day in which we live. Well, that's what Paul is dealing with in these verses today. He's going to deal with it in the creation, and he's going to deal with it in the the humankind, in in mankind, in, in individuals. We may not get to individuals today. That may be later. But we want to talk about what he says. Hear the word of God in Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. Last week's verse. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation awaits eagerly. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation is subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, The redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved not hope that is not excuse me now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience the Apostle Paul there has been talking about our newness in Christ. He's been talking about how we've been brought into relationship and union with Christ and an adoption into the family of God. He's been talking about how we are now made in the, and adopted into the family of God in, in such a glorious and beautiful way. And I'm sure those Roman Christians said, but Paul, if we are in God's family and if we are, are, are you know, in this position of righteousness, imputed righteousness, before the Father. If we are here, why are we still struggling with sin? And why is there still chaos in our lives? And why is everything not fitting together and just showing itself to be perfect in our life every single day? And Paul says, well, here's the reason. Because suffering is a reality because of the fall. Suffering is a reality of something that, that you are going to encounter, that you're going to deal with, whether it be shootings or, or hurricanes or, or persecution, no matter what it might be. And, and for, I hope you take time weekly, if not daily, to read about our brothers and sisters that are suffering persecution in other parts of the world simply because they are believers for no other reason. And and they're going through stuff that we're not going through, but we need to learn from them what they're going through so that we'll be ready when we go through it. Because, my friend, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is coming. And so Paul says, I want you to know. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be shocked when this happens. I want you to think on what is yet to come. That's what uh, Horatio Spafford was talking about in that that last uh, stanza Of that song we just sang, It Is Well With My Soul, when he said, Now, Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. That's what Paul's talking about here. When everything is reconciled, when everything is healed, when everything is brought back together, we won't operate by faith any longer, we'll operate by sight. Now, our sight that day will confirm everything we walked in by faith. Our sight will confirm that what we believed in, what we trusted in, was absolutely true. But but Paul says, here, I want you to understand, this is important that you realize it is something yet to come. So, So Spafford says, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. When the clouds are rolled back as a scroll, the trump will resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. I mean, what a beautiful expression what Paul is talking about in these verses of Scripture. He starts out by saying, as we said in verse 18, you can't even begin to compare the suffering of this world with the the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. We talked about glory last week being not just heaven, not just uh, streets of gold, not just some kind of place that's really kind of nice, nicer than anything we've ever imagined on this earth but the glory being the glory of God, the revealed presence of God, when we live and dwell and glory in His presence. Paul says that's what we're going to look forward to. That's what we're anticipating. But he wants us to see very clearly that sufferings and glory, suffering and glory belong together inseparably. They, they go together. You won't know or appreciate even the the glory if you don't understand and see the sufferings in the light of the cross. I mean, it was that way in Jesus' life. Jesus was glorified as the very Son of God. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, He was manifest as the Son of God by the resurrection. He was glorified before men's eyes in the resurrection. But the resurrection didn't just happen. The resurrection was because He suffered and he suffered for our sin, and he suffered in our place, and he went to a cross, and he died a horrific criminal's death, as we sang about a minute ago, and and there he died on that cross to be buried. His sufferings are inseparable with his glory, and the glory that is revealed before us. We must understand that if it were that way with Christ, it must be that way with us. Jesus said in John 15, the, the teacher, I mean, the, the student is not greater than the teacher. The servant or the slave is not greater than the master. If the master or the teacher suffered, then why should the student and why should the slave or the servant expect anything less? If they hated the master, they'll hate the servant. If they hate the one who was perfect, if they hate the one who had no sin, if they hate the one who lived beautifully and perfectly before them how how would they not respond to us in the same way when we don't have that benefit so Paul says I want you to understand something I want you to recognize that these things are inseparable he also talks about the sufferings and the glory are categorized by two ages or two eons the present age in which we now live and the age that is yet to come it says they're not to be compared, there's no way to see the difference, no even no, no way to see them in comparison to one another. They're so gloriously different. And then he finally comes to that point starting in verse 19, where he says, I want you to understand the suffering and the glory concern both God's creation and God's children. The suffering and the glory. Go hand in hand with both the creation and with his children. We're not exempt from it because we're his children. And the creation is under it because of the fall. He says there in verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. He said, listen, the, the creation is waiting eagerly. I, I love what J.B. Phillips said in his little paraphrase translation of the New Testament. In, in verse 19, he translates it this way. The whole creation is on tippy-toe to see what God is about to do, to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. The whole creation is on tippy-toe waiting to see what is going to re- be revealed when the children of God are revealed in perfection, in glorification before the Father? The, the, the world is struggling itself. The creation, the, the inanimate creation, and the animate, apart from human beings, creation is struggling, is suffering. Fires burn down forests. That was not supposed to be. Hurricanes destroy whole cities and whole areas that is not supposed to be and so creation is eagerly longing moaning groaning waiting longing eagerly to see what god is going to do when the when the revelation shows the glory of his children you know in verses 19 through 22 the apostle paul uses the word creation four times in each verse verse 19, for the creation waits. In verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. In verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom, the glory of the children of God. And 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth even until now. What in the world? Creation is mentioned four times in four verses. Now, I could, we're on a Wednesday night would ask you some questions about that and let you answer me. But I want you to think about this for a minute. When you see creation mentioned, there are several things that that implies. But there's one big thing that that word implies. What do you think it is? What do you think it is that there's, when he says, the creation longs. The creation is waiting. The creation is struggling. The creation is literally frustrated, but they're looking forward. When you hear the word creation, what do you think that implies? Immediately, the most important implication, there is a creator. Now, we looked in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is an out-and-out statement of fact. A fiat creation out of nothing. If we go to John's Gospel, to John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and apart from Him would not have been anything created that was created. He was there in the beginning, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, the triune God, at work in creation. Creation indicates a creator. I know we live in a day that says, well, that's kind of passe. That's kind of out of date, Bill. I mean, come on, you're, you're, you're getting old, and that's a fact, but that has nothing to do with this. You know, come on, Bill. Today we understand that things just evolved. Things just happened. There, there, was, there was nothing that needed God to be in existence. You're all familiar with with Carl Sagan and his immensely popular secular and and naturalistic uh, tv show the cosmos where sagan says he opens that show with his profound statement the cosmos is all there is or ever was or ever will be and we you know the culture applauds and says yeah that's right it's just the cosmos what in the heck is the cosmos except the creation and to say that creation always was and always will be in all that there ever was is a, a ludicrous statement. And Paul is saying here, I you understand that creation is a reality because there is a creator. No other reason. No other reason. There's a reason that our culture rejects a creator. There, there's a reason why our culture says, no, 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 no. Science has answered everything. If you think that's the case, get John Lennox's little book, Can Science Explain Everything, and read it. It's about that thick. If you're you're a slow reader, it'll take you a day. But it's an amazing book by a scientist and a mathematician and an apologist. Just ask him, as a scientist, can science explain everything? I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of the answer, no. It can't. It can't explain everything. Matter of fact, as as I mentioned Wednesday night to our study, uh, Fritz Schaefer of, of the University of Georgia, a Nobel Prize nominee on numerous occasions, a quantum chemist, uh, Fritz Schaefer says, you know, science can't explain, uh, science can't tell us anything about how things came to be. They can science can only observe what is. And when you bring certain presuppositions to it, you can say, well, it has to be this way because I believe this way. And, and they take science and they manipulate it, but science doesn't tell us how things came to be. They can speculate and postulate and theorize, but they can't tell us. In the final analysis, it all comes back to the realization that, that the cosmos has not always been, the cosmos will not always be. And the cosmos is not all that there is. There is creation. There is God behind that. And and Paul says, I want you to understand, this creation, because of the fall, was subjected to what it's going through now. He calls it futility. You might translate that even frustration. The creation itself is going through frustration. Now, Paul is kind of personalizing creation here. We do that. We'll talk about nature. Some people talk about mother nature, whoever that is. You know, we'll talk about that as though they're a person. We'll personify things. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand, Paul is not saying here that the creation is, is like us, a personal being, one who can, can have a relationship with God. That's not what he's saying at all. But he is saying that the creation is not what it was intended to be. I could go into detail after detail after detail. I could take this week's newspapers and go day by day, point by point, page by page, and show you how things that we see that are frustrating and things that we see that are not right and things that we see are, are in total opposition to the created order are all a rebellion against the Creator. They really are. They're all saying, I want to be my own God. I want to run my own show. I want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, and when I want to do it. And I want nobody, not even God, telling me that I can't do what I want to do. And that's where the world is, folks. And because of that, it throws itself into absolute chaos. Now, Paul says it's The creation didn't want to be that way. They didn't willingly go that way. But they're that way because of the one who placed them there. A reference, no doubt, to the judgment of God that fell on the natural order because of Adam's disobedience. It's important to recognize that, folks. When you hear people say, well, you know i realize you christians believe this but i don't believe that i believe this that's a that's a rebellion against the creator that's saying yeah god who created has no right to tell me what i should do or should not do i will determine that totally and completely on my own no one will tell me any differently So Paul says the creation has been subjected. The creation is in chaos. The creation is frustrated. But secondly, he says, the creation itself is going to be liberated. How about that? Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Is it any wonder that that creation is standing on tippy-toes Eagerly looking and waiting, God, when are you going to redeem your people completely from the from the curse of the of the fall, the curse of sin? The creation is eagerly waiting to see what God is going to do to His people in glorification, because the, the creation recognizes in itself, in its own inanimate object self, recognizes that when that day comes, they will be set free from the bondage. There'll be no more forest fires. There'll be no more earthquakes. There'll be no more hurricanes and tornadoes and natural disasters. And there'll be no more rebellion against the order of what God has created. The creation will be set right. Set right in the way that it was intended in the beginning. God created the heaven and earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. And and he called the light day and the darkness night. And he said, it is good. It's a day coming when God's pronouncement upon his creation and upon his children will be, it is good. It is good. He says, this creation along with God's people, have been moaning and groaning and desiring more than anything else for some kind of redemption. so said, The creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain a freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now Guys, we just have to take by faith that the pains of childbirth is very difficult. you want to ask more about it, ask your wife or somebody later on. Let them tell you the pains of childbirth. But from what I understand, it's a fairly painful event, a glorious event, a rewarding event, beautiful event, but nonetheless, a painful event for the most part. And Paul makes that, com- that corresponding evidence there that, that this is what's been happening. It's been painful. It's been hurtful. All this chaos has been difficult. And the creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth even right up until right now. And it will continue. Until the coming of the Lord, until what Spafford said in that last verse of it is well with my soul. When, when the clouds roll away and we see the glory of God in all his beauty and all his perfection. And we are in his presence, in his glory for all of eternity. Now why is Paul in this beautiful passage talking about us being redeemed, and there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is the third verse of Spafford's hymn there. Why is Paul taking all this beautiful, there's no therefore now no condemnation and and saying God has done what the law, weak by the flesh could not do, was unable to do he sent his son in the light of sinful flesh for sin and he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Why in the midst of all of that beautiful eloquent statement about the, the freedom and the forgiveness and the justification of god in christ jesus in every believer why does he throw in this thing about suffering i think it's because the roman christians like the grace baptist christians at times say lord i don't understand i don't understand why if i'm in christ and i'm your child and you love me and all that's true why do i have to go through suffering Why do I have to have pain? Why do I have to to endure this stuff? Paul says, the reason is, the reason is because you cannot know glory until you know suffering. You cannot know the glory, the beauty of the glory, the magnificence of the glory, the presence of God, unless you've got something to contrast it with. I think Paul is saying here to us, this is the world we live in. You blame it on Adam, you blame it on Eve. Eve you know, blamed the serpent, and Adam blamed Eve, and, every, and, and ultimately they just kind of bl- Adam blamed God. this woman you gave me. The truth of the matter is, Yes, sin is in the world because of their fall. But because of that fall, we continue in our own rebellion against God, and especially those outside of Christ do. We're not here to condemn those who are outside of Christ. We're here to love them with the gospel and share the gospel with them and pray for them. We're not here to say, oh, you oh evil sinner, we're we're now believers. Listen, you're not a believer because of your work. You're a believer because of the grace of God. We pray for that grace to be manifest in their lives just as real and just as powerful and just as much as it has been in our own lives. You know, we look at a world that's in chaos. We look at people in rebellion against God. We look at people, I mean, let's face it, folks. If it weren't for the fall, there would be no broken marriages. There would be no more. There would be no sickness. There would be no cancer. There would be no more orphaned children. I mean, the, the world would just be so beautiful from our perspective. But it is in chaos and outside of Christ there is still rebellion against the one true and living God the one true and living creator the one who said this is the way it should be and you throw out creation when, when you throw out a creator then everything's go I and mean, everything's okay because now you no longer have not only a creator or a creation You have just a mass of of random occurrences, and and there's no morality, there's no ethical nature to that. There's no right and wrong, it's just do what you want to do. When when you throw out the Creator as the one who is the supreme king and God of the universe, then then you you lose a lot. You no longer have a need for an atonement, folks. The cross is... Paul said if the resurrection is not true, which it is, but if the resurrection not true, then we're at faith. our faith is folly in vain. If the resurrection is not true, the cross was a ridiculous thing in human history. I mean, it did nothing. If you throw out creation, you throw out the whole concept of marriage and family as God created it, as God intended it. I mean, that's what happens in a chaotic world. Things go its own way and refuses to submit to the living God. But there is a creator. and There is a creation. And that creation will one day be restored. And the thing that we have to remember as believers is simply this. We ought not be surprised by what we see we can be grieved by it but we ought not be surprised by it we can pray as we ought to do for the redemption of others who are in rebellion against god we can pray for our loved ones we can pray for our friends we can share the gospel with them and share the truth with them and that's what i think the scripture calls us to do when we see that god's world is what it is but paul says don't be surprised." Don't be shocked. And always be sure that you meet what you see that you don't like with grace and love and the gospel, not with antagonism and anger and hatred. That's so important to remember, folks. Always meet the chaos with grace. The old statement, not a biblical statement. Well, it could be a paraphrase of a biblical statement, I guess. But the old statement, there but by the grace of God go I, is absolutely true. You look at whoever you consider to be the worst of the worst, and you recognize if it we were not for the grace of God, both his common grace in your life and his special grace in your life to bring you to faith in Christ, if it were not by the, because of the grace of God, that would be me. So you face them with the grace of God. You say, God is a gracious God, ready to forgive, longing to forgive. Meeting with the love of Christ. I love you, not because I'm a good person, but I love you because Christ loved me and Christ loves you. And Christ's desire is for you to hear the truth. With grace, with love and with the gospel. Folks, moralism won't win the day. and Moralism won't do anybody any good. Moralism is just going to make a lot of people look a lot better for hell. That's about what it amounts to. But the gospel changes hearts. The gospel prepares us to be the demonstration to all of creation what the glory of the children of God is all about. So you're going to face things that you find abhorrent. You're going to face things that you just say, that's terrible. Yeah. But always face it with grace and with love and with the gospel. Always? You know, I'm going to stop here. We'll get back with the children of God being revealed in glory next time. But, but I want you to see the creation longing, can hardly wait, on tippy toes, anticipating, looking forward to. Said, the creation saying, I can't wait to see what comes next. If the creation is doing that, how in God's name, His holy name, can we who claim to be His redeemed people sit back in complacency? How can we do that? We can't. We're to long for it. We're to look for it. We're to pray for it. We're to anticipate it. But always anticipating with the gospel before our eyes and sharing the gospel in our minds. For those who need Christ. When death was arrested and my life began. We sang. But even though death was arrested in our life. And our life began. Our life is not where it's going to be yet. The old statement. The best is yet to come. Is an absolute truth and we wait for that i hope we're groaning for that even if you're not suffering some kind of a debilitating disease groan for long for what god is going to do when you're glorified before him pray with me would you